Hello, I'm Fern Cotton and this is Happy Place, the show that introduces you to coping mechanisms you might not have previously considered. Today, I'm meeting Mel Robbins. As soon as your thoughts go negative, it's like lint catching in a dryer. More and more and more negativity builds. You know, what's interesting, Fern, is if you had walked into the bathroom in that moment, I would have been able to spin on a dime and be like, come on, Fern, you got this, you're awesome. I know this sucks, but come on, let's just take it one step at a time, you can face this. But standing there with myself, alone in my underwear, one boob hanging lower than the other, like I I, I couldn't think of anything to say because I didn't feel confident. TV host and author Mel is one of the most booked speakers in the world, and you'll find out why in just a moment. In her words, she screwed her life up in the first 40 years, but has now figured out how to change her habits and the way she talks to herself to ultimately become a much more confident and much happier person. I've just turned 40, so <laughs> I'm, I'm ready for the gear change. This chat went to so many different fascinating places. I think you'll find the stuff about the importance of ingraining little habits into your everyday life very helpful, as well as when Mel explains what panic attacks actually are on a psychological level. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Okay, here's the show. Mel. Hey. Oh my gosh. I'm sorry. I'm trying to contain my excitement. I wore a, a really black loose shirt because I'm sweating like waterfalls <laughs> under my armpits right now. I'm so excited to meet you. <laughs> I'm so excited to meet you. This is the joy of doing this podcast is just getting to connect with lots of people that I'm a fan of, that I've learned from and to have a really juicy chat. And I definitely need it today. I definitely need it. You've caught me on a day where I had I had a really shitty night with my eight-year-old who was just full-on rebellion, loads of testosterone, shouting at me a lot. And I think at one point I actually said out loud to no one, I don't I don't know how to do this. Because I literally was like, I, I don't know how to parent. I'm completely useless and nosedived quite quickly into a, a patch of self-loathing. So obviously we're talking about your amazing book, The High Five Habit, which we're going to talk a lot about today. The last thing I felt like in that moment, and possibly still today, is high-fiving myself because I just feel like, I guess I don't deserve it. I don't deserve to high-five myself. Well, we're going to get into the crazy science that I have uncovered that is frankly groundbreaking when it comes to the actual habit and action of standing before a mirror and high-fiving yourself. But if I may, can we take a step back as two mothers and can we talk about Rex being a T-Rex last night 
and how that uh, made you kind of circle the drain in terms of saying, I don't know how to do this. I don't know what to do. And so first things first, I need to ask you, do you want me to just listen to the story or do you want me to give you advice? Oh, I, I want advice. I'm using this as part of a free therapy okay, session. Okay, great. So, um, you know, first of all, you should know that I'm not a trained therapist. I literally, my brand of self-help is fucking up my own life and my children and then having to Same. figure out how to grab myself by the bootstraps and, and change. And then when I find things that work, I just, like you, love to share them with everybody. Yeah. And so that sentence that I told you is possibly the single best piece of parenting advice I've ever stumbled into. And that is especially, you know, you can do it with both of your kids right now. And that is whenever your kids are in a state of distress, whether they're acting out or they're a jerk face to you or they're super sad is say the sentence, hey, do you want me to help you with this or do you just want me to listen or do you want me to leave you alone? And nine times out of 10, even when I found that my kids were, you know, five and eight, that they just wanted me to listen. So that's number one. So start using that, especially yeah. when the tantrum start. Hey, Rex, honey, do you want me to help you right now? Or do you want me to just listen to you be angry? Or do you want me to walk away? Because then it puts the responsibility back on them to start learning to ask for what they need instead of acting out. So that's yeah, Number one, super I love that. phenomenal with teenagers in particular. So the second thing is I once heard somebody say that when your kids come home from school and they're a bloody mess, just little bastards to you, right? That it's actually <laughs> fantastic because they've been holding it together at school in the place that they're supposed to sit in the chair and hold it together. And if they can come home and act out with you, it means they feel emotionally safe with you. So yeah. your negative crap that you were saying to yourself, I don't know how to do this. The fact that your kid is acting out is evidence that he feels safe around you. Oh, he feels really safe. Yes. <laughs> so safe. Yes. yes. Now, there's one more thing I want to tell you based on my personal experience. So what what uh, year is he? Kind of what what level is he at? So he's gone into what we call over here year four of school. Okay. So he's going to prep school. Yeah. So it's important for you to know that between what would be year four or year, set, year two, year three, year four, so that we kind of line up here in the States with y'all. This is when learning differences and learning issues come up. And so we have a son and I also happen to be dyslexic, but we have a son that was severely dyslexic and dysgraphic and has sort of working memory issues. And if at that age, your kids are acting out more and more and more, I would look into whether or not there is some kind of cognitive issue going on with how he's learning at school, because that's when the schoolwork amps up. And if he's got any kind of language-based learning issue, he is going to be so mentally taxed at the end of the day, he's going to be a little asshole when he comes. Yeah, yeah. I can see that. I can absolutely see that playing out. And it's definitely something me and my husband have talked about. And I guess in those moments, you lose all clarity and common sense and you just go... I'm a piece of shit. I don't know how to do this rather than, oh, what's going on for him? And, you know, yes. it's, it's crazy the moment. But let's, 
Thank you for that. I so needed all of that. And, and I'm going to use the, the question to him. I'm, I'm keeping it all in mind because it inevitably will, will happen I'd be again willing tonight. to bet that if you actually had an expert take a look at him, he's got working memory or yeah. executive functioning or dyslexia issues, and he's acting out because he doesn't know how to sit in a classroom and learn the way they're asking him to learn. Period. Yeah, I'd be willing I, to put my mortgage on it. I can, I can see it. I can see it. And I, and I think you're right. You know, they they're containing so much at school. Then of of course at home it's going to be this massive explosion of just a release of all the stuff they've kept in all day. Which you know, it's just something we have to deal with as parents, isn't it? But when you feel topped up, when you feel like I can't, like I had a kids party at the weekend and loads of people here and whatever, and then you're just like, I just want to get in bed with a book and be quiet on my own. And it's an impossibility. You can't do that. It's not going to happen. Well, you know, what's interesting is that they're going through the exact same thing that you and I are going through. They're absorbing the pressure of being alive at this moment. Yes. And they don't know how to absorb it in their nervous system. They don't know how to process all of the uncertainty and all of the expectations This is also the moment in time where you start to have what psychologists call a break in belonging, where you see where you fit in and where you don't. And that starts to become really overwhelming. And so he is going through the stuff that you and I go through every single day. And part of the reason why you and I are so hard on ourselves is because at this exact age, kind of between eight and 12, The experts say we start to beat ourselves up in our inner monologue because we start to see where we are fitting in and where we're falling behind and where we don't fit in. And the internal monologue of, oh, well, you know, stay away from those guys because you're not a sports kid or I can't do this. I must be stupid. Or why am I never good enough with my homework? Why does the teacher always pick that person? That's where it begins. And so the other thing that I'll tell you is that the more that you kind of dig into personal development, it's so interesting to do it as a parent, because I have, I have literally once a day Fern, I say to myself, well, that just cost my kids three years of therapy, bitching about my anger issues. Okay. I just really screwed them up today. (laughs) Every day The, the pressure. I'm like, it's too much responsibility. Like what, how much am I screwing up their heads? Like that responsibility crushes me crushes me. Well, you're going to screw them up. And the reason why you're going to screw them up is because you have your own stuff to deal with and we can't coddle our kids. And in order to grow and to learn, you got to stretch and you're doing the most important thing on the planet as a parent, which is addressing the fundamental emotional needs of feeling seen, feeling heard, feeling they're still loved, despite the fact that you might be upset or frustrated with them. So, you know, that's kind of what this book, The High Five Habit, is really about, is that, you know, the high five in the mirror, which we'll talk about, was like a Trojan horse that cracked open this subject that we all talk about. You talk about it all the time. I talk about it in my work. We all know we're supposed to love ourselves. We all know we're supposed to be kinder to ourselves. We all know we shouldn't be like trashing ourselves in our minds. And yet we are horrible to ourselves. Horrible. 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 Absolutely bloody awful. You know, I've got to the point in life where I think, There's no point anyone out there judging me because everything you might say or think, I've got there way before you, like years before you. Like we are so awful to ourselves. So let's talk about 
the moment that you discovered this high fight. I love this part of the book. I love the photo of you. You've captured this exact <laughs> moment, this this seminal moment in your life, this this sort of snapshot of clarity that you had. Tell us about that and and the feeling that came with that moment and all of the work that it's now given birth to. This is a really profound moment in my life and a major turning point. And, you know, it's not a pandemic moment, but in order to kind of give you the backdrop of what was going on in my life, and given that at the time that you and I are talking, we're still in the middle of a pandemic, I'll just tell you what was going on in my life, at least to the extent I can, based on what the lawyers tell me. No, I'm just kidding. Um, (laughs) I... um, Everybody knows the moment that their life turned upside down because of COVID, whether you got news that the office was closing or you couldn't go see your you know, grandmom or dad, or you were quarantined with your kids and they were in a state of distress. There was that moment. And for me, what happened is I was taping a daytime talk show here in the United States and they found COVID at the CBS broadcast center in New York. And they walked into the taping room and said, Uh, You need to evacuate the building. And within five minutes notice, Fern, my show was canceled. I was fired from what had always been a dream job of mine. I grew up, you know, coming home from school. My mom would have Oprah Winfrey or Donahue on here in the United States. And I always wanted to do that and to help people doing it. And so five minutes, grab everything you can that's not nailed down, run out the door. Don't even say goodbye to the 130 people I've worked with for a year. I get in the car. I start driving to Boston. I see the New York City skyline disappearing uh, in the rearview mirror. And, you know, Boston, Massachusetts is where my husband and I live. And then the phone calls start coming in. My daughter's in college in California. They're closing school. I, I, what's happening? What's happening? My other daughter's in Spain. You know, I, I can't get a flight. I can't. And the whole world starts to close down and we all felt it. So I get home and those first three weeks were basically a blur of alcohol and living in my pajamas and watching uh, Harry Potter, no kidding, on repeat with the kids. There were aspects of it were, that were fun. But what happened in those three weeks is I lost my dream job. My book publisher canceled my book and then told me I had to return the, the money they had given us, money I'd already spent. Every speech I had for a year started to cancel. And I started to get flashbacks to a moment in my life when my husband and I were nearly a million dollars in debt. This was 13 years ago. This is sort of my origin story. We were about to lose everything. And that's when I invented this thing called the five second rule. But I started having these flashbacks. We are fucked. Like this is happening again. Are you kidding me? I'm 52 years old. I've got to reinvent my freaking life again. And one morning I wake up and I use the five second rule. You count backwards, five, four, three, two, one. And I get out of bed and the anxiety is thumping through me and I make my bed and I drag myself to the bathroom and I'm standing there brushing my teeth in my underwear And I catch a glimpse of my reflection in the mirror. And I think, oh my God, you look like hell. And I had these dark circles under my eyes and my gray hair was coming in and I looked haggard and tired. You know, I I actually felt sorry for the woman I saw reflected back in the mirror because I could tell she had the weight of the world on her shoulders. She was worried about her kids who were 
grieving and anxious and distressed. She was worried about herself, her employees. She was worried about the world and the frontline workers and her parents and her business and everything. And as soon as your thoughts go negative, it's like lint catching in a dryer, more and more and more negativity builds. And so then I started thinking about the day and who doesn't start their day by going, I'm late. I forgot to do the text. I, today's going to suck. And then I look at my feet and there's my dog and he still needs to be walked. And I need to be on a Zoom call in eight minutes. And I just look like bloody hell. And, I, and I'm starting to feel heavier and heavier. And you know, what's interesting, Fern, is if you had walked into the bathroom in that moment, I would have been able to spin on a dime and be like, come on, Fern, you got this. You're awesome. I know this sucks, but come on, let's just take it one step at a time. You can face this. But standing there with myself alone in my underwear, one boob hanging lower than the other, <laughs> like I, I, I couldn't think of anything to say because I didn't feel confident. I didn't feel optimistic. I didn't feel like I could handle what was happening. And as cheesy as it sounds, standing there without a bra, I found myself just raising my hand and high-fiving the woman I saw in the mirror. Now, here's what's interesting. Almost immediately, I felt my shoulders drop. I chuckled because it's so stupid and cheesy <laughs> to high-five yourself in the mirror. And it didn't disappear the problems. It didn't change all the stuff I was dealing with but something inside of me changed. I felt this sense of, okay, I know this sucks. Pick your chin up, Mel. You got this, come on. And I sent myself into the day. Now it was the second day that something really interesting happened because what happened on the second day is when I woke up, I immediately thought about that high five. I five, four, three, two, one, got out of bed. I made my bed and as I was walking toward the bathroom, I felt something I'd never felt in my entire life. And I'm going to explain it this way. You know, when you're about to go see a friend, you're going to grab a, a cup of tea or a cup of coffee or something, and you're about to walk into that cafe and you feel this sense of excitement that you're going to see somebody you like. And, you know, I felt that as I was sitting, you know, kind of waiting for us to connect. Wow. I was so excited to talk to you. As I walked into that bathroom, I felt this sense that I was about to see somebody that I like. Now I'm gonna be 53 years old this year. I think for the first 45 years of my life, I have either criticized the woman I've seen in the mirror or I have ignored her. I have looked forward to seeing outfits that I'm wearing or makeup that I've put on. I have never looked forward to seeing myself. No, I, I haven't. I mean, it's there's an awkwardness. There's a real awkwardness about because when I was reading this section of your book, I was like, why have I never seen myself in the mirror? I've looked at myself. I've gone, oh, there's that's what I don't like about it. And there's that. And I can improve that with some eyeliner, whatever. But I've never seen myself. And it, the beauty of that moment you've just described is seeing yourself was a moment where you hijacked the usual judgment that is just so omnipresent. We don't even think about it. It's just there all the time. When any of us look in the mirror, we go straight to the points we don't like. But you bypass that to empathy. And that is so rare that we look at ourselves with compassion and that we go, because, you know, the high five habit isn't going like, yeah, you're amazing. You rock. It's, I see you. This is really hard. I get that it's really hard. And it 
it's okay. It's okay to find it hard. Yes. But we don't look at ourselves in the mirror like that. Like I tried after reading the book and I was like, this is so fucking weird. I'm looking at myself. It's really awkward. There's, what is that awkwardness? Oh, okay. This is so sad. Okay. This is really sad. You know, I, I'm going to tell everybody right now, you have to do this five mornings in a row because you will feel resistance and you'll feel exactly what Fern's talking about. You'll feel this awkwardness and this weirdness and this tremendous sense of discomfort. And I want to unpack this on multiple levels because what that resistance represents is so profoundly sad. And this is what the enormous opportunity is when you start to practice habits of encouragement, of empowerment, of self-love and self-celebration. So first things first, none of us have ever been taught how to truly see ourselves, support ourselves, love ourselves, and be kind to ourselves. We have not. We have encouraged our children to do that. We do it for them. But at some point, you stop listening to your parents and you start criticizing yourself. And so first things first, it's weird and awkward because you've never been taught how to do this. So it's not a habit. Your habit is the exact opposite. And as we know, whether you are trying to create a new habit of eating healthy or not drinking so much or knocking off the caffeine or getting out of bed early, you resist it and it feels weird because it's new. So that's reason number one, but that's not the sad reason. That's the scientific reason. The real reason why you cannot stand in front of the mirror and be with yourself, where you are, how you're feeling in this exact moment of your life is because you drag your entire past to that moment. Everything that you regret, everything that you're disappointed about, everything that you have survived, the abuse, the trauma, the confusion, the heartbreak, all of your hopes and dreams that have not been realized yet. Yeah. They are with you in that moment. You do not see a person who is trying. You do not see a person who is worthy of celebration because of what you have survived in your life. You see somebody who is damaged because of that. You see somebody who is a failure because you're not where you're supposed to be. You see all of the things that you're not instead of all of the things that you are. And so that resistance and that weirdness and that judgment is actually rejection. It is judgment. It is disappointment. And here's the next layer of this. And this is why this habit, while cheesy on its face, I think is the most powerful thing that you could possibly do in your life in terms of adopting a new behavior. We have made the mistake as human beings of believing that you are only worthy of celebration and support when you achieve something that is worthy of celebration and support. So here you are standing with yourself every morning in judgment. The, the, the scale you know, doesn't have the number on it that it needs to be. My bank account isn't where it needs to be. My relationship isn't where it needs to be. My career isn't where it needs to be. My mental health isn't where it needs to be. And you stand there and judge that. And then you go cross your arms and go, well, I'm not going to cheer for that person until they get there. <laughs> yeah. so I'm going to just stand there and judge you. Yeah. So get out there, you, you loser. And see yeah. if you can lose that weight. Like it's literally insane. If you watch the marathon in London, 
And those racers are running by. Even Brits aren't standing there with their arms crossed going, bloody hell, you suck. I'm not yeah, clapping yeah, yeah. for your ass until you cross the finish line. No, no, you like clap and you cheer people every step of the way. Your life is a marathon and you have outsourced the single most motivational and important thing that you need to other people. You're waiting for your spouse or your kids or your parents or your colleagues or your friends or your boss to cheer for you and to validate you. I'm sitting here telling you, you have to learn how to validate yourself and cheer for yourself where you are right now or you're not going to get where you're meant to go. No, because, you know, that's... That's what we've been, I guess, more recently taught with social media or certainly encouraged that unless there's outside validation, you do not exist, which is a terrifying thought. Because if you are solely relying on exterior validation, then when it eventually dissipates or there's a break in it, you're free falling. What are you going to do? So so that is a, a huge problem. But going back one layer looking at all the judgment and all the past that we lug around, because I recognise that in myself. I'll look in the mirror and I'll conflate my own thoughts about myself with other words spoken from people I've met along the way or strangers, whatever it might be. And I am, you know, pulling that along in a massive sledge behind me, like every morning. How do we, because everyone's got that. And I'm thinking people at home are going to be like, yeah, yeah, I have that. But how are we moving past that? How are we not bringing our whole past and our lump of regret with us each morning? How do we move on? Because, you know, I know, obviously, sometimes with tricky situations in life, you might have had good intent, but others have still judged you or you've ended up in a tricky spot. But there will still be times in our past where we acted without good intent. And we know that we we did something out of jealousy or cruelty or whatever it might be of just feeling angry about our own lives. So how do we let that go when we know that good intent wasn't anywhere near that situation? How the hell are we stepping over that massive pile of crap? Look, I think especially your listeners know that you act out in pain because you didn't know any other way to cope. And so when you can bring empathy and understanding to what happened to you, you can start to understand the behavior. And it's only when you understand the behavior from the past that you can spot it and you can catch it and you can change it because patterns of behavior repeat unless you break them and replace them. And so one of the reasons why this high five habit, and it's just one of a bazillion habits in this book that we can talk about to address this question. One of the reasons why high fiving your reflection in the mirror works is because you don't have to think anything. This is the genius of it. So, you know, when it started to work for me, and then I, of course, put a photo on social media on my story, and within an hour, 100 people, men, women, children around the world were high-fiving and tagging themselves, I thought, okay, whoa. First of all, I'm not the only one who's feeling like uh, the world on my shoulders. Okay, that's reassuring. And secondly, maybe this thing isn't that cheesy after all. And so I've spent the last year researching this. And so first, let me explain in addressing your question about how do you get your mind to stop going down the road of beating the shit out of yourself for all the stuff that you did when you were just trying to survive? Because that's what you were trying to do. You were just trying to survive. And I have been startled, Fern. You know, I was molested when I was in the fourth grade. And it was a one-time incident. 
I woke up in the middle of the night at a big family thing with lots of different families and all the kids were in one room and there was an older kid on top of me. And it is that moment that my anxiety began. I literally had a fight or flight response, which is all that anxiety is. Anxiety in your body is just an alarm bell going off when your uh, nervous system goes into a sympathetic or an on edge alarm state. And I possumed, I disassociated. I literally left my body. And that next morning I woke up knowing that something was wrong, knowing that something bad had happened. And in that moment, my nervous system was still on alarm. And when I walked downstairs that morning, my mom was cooking breakfast. The kids were all over the kitchen, lots of other moms around. And my mom turned to me and said, how'd you sleep, honey? And I froze. And I froze because the kid was sitting at the kitchen table. Now, I knew if I said something, my mother, she's a farm gal. She grew up on a cattle farm. She would she would literally take that spatula and hit him into next week. Like there was no concern about my mom. I was concerned about what this person would do. And so my nervous system in that moment got hardwired to be on edge, to be worried about how people react. And I have lived in that state for literally ever since 45 years. And so one of the things that happens, we're going to talk about our nervous system because there's also a high five you can do to your heart that is profound for any kind of anxiety or trauma that you may be feeling. And we're going to explain that in a minute. But first, I want to explain what some of the world's leading uh, neuroscientists have said about why the high five habit works. When you go to raise your hand in the mirror, and this is how you're going to do it. uh, What I want you to do to make it a habit, first of all, is I want you to do it right after you brush your teeth. Hopefully we're all brushing our teeth every day. Uh, It's a really good habit to have. When you put your your toothbrush down, like right on the counter, now we're gonna practice the high five. You're gonna take a minute and you're just gonna look at yourself. And I want you to, in that moment, I want you to set an intention. And the reason why I want you to set an intention as you're with yourself is because there is new research out of Harvard that shows that if you take just a minute in the morning and you think about how you're gonna show up today and who you're gonna be, and more importantly, what actually matters to you? What game do you wanna play that you wanna make progress on? Not complete, not win at, just what's one thing you wanna inch forward? And how do you need to show up today to really engage in that game that matters to you? It could be something personal, could be something at work, it doesn't matter with your kids. And then once you have that in your mind, you're gonna raise your hand and you're going to high five yourself. And yes, it will feel weird. Yes, it will feel awkward, but I'm gonna tell you what's not gonna happen. It is neurologically and scientifically impossible to raise your hand and high five your reflection and think, gosh, you suck. Boy, you're ugly. Your chin's really pointy. Your jowls, Mel, are starting to look like saddlebags on a pack mule. Like you can't (laughs) think those things. You just can't. And here's why. You have spent your lifetime high-fiving other people or raising your hands in celebration with other people. You've done it so many times that the gesture of high-fiving, even by just seeing other people do it in sports matches, it's already encoded. Like, Fern, what is, when somebody high-fives you, what are they saying to you? Well, I think they're they're celebrating you on a subconscious level and saying, I see you. Hey, and I think what I'm realising as you're talking is, this is so obvious to say, but it's just hit me is that we're not to underestimate habit. Because I think some of the time we're sat there waiting for, quite frankly, an epiphany. There's going to be this moment where I really like myself. Or if I get the job, the partner, the thing, then I'm going to like myself. 
we've got to do the habit bit first yes. to get anywhere near that. Yes. And and we are all relying on some miraculous... Maybe it's because we, we've been sort of indoctrinated over the years with like the big reality TV shows where, you know, all of a sudden you're celebrated and you look amazing and you're on TV and everyone's cheering at you and I'm going to have that moment. It's going to happen down the line. This is a habit. This is like you say, cleaning your bloody teeth. This is a habit we have to do every day. And it's as much as sort of changing your habit is can be tiresome. Once you're in a habit, you don't even know you're doing it. I don't Correct. think I've got to brush my teeth. You're just doing it. So we can't underestimate habit here. Yes. And by the way, you already have a habit that we're trying to break, which is you have a habit of ignoring yes. or criticizing yourself. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Just yeah. like you're cleaning your teeth. we got to clean your mind of all that bullshit you've been saying for a long time. But that's empowering because often we believe it. We think, well, I am just a piece of shit, but it's empowering to know no, that is a habit that I go to, that I think I'm a piece of shit when X, Y, Z happens. It's not true. That also is a habit. Empowering, both yes. things. Yes. Empowering. Exactly, exactly. And you have friends that have done piece of shit things in their lives. Yeah. And you can understand that they did that. They drank, they were addicted, they cheated on people. They, like whatever they did, they were a, 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 a bloody asshole. But you can now see that they're trying. You can now see that they're changing and they're working hard and you can love them through it. I'm here to tell you, you have to make a habit of doing this for yourself every day. And you just said this thing about, I'll be happy when I get that job or I lose that weight. The problem with attaching your happiness and your validation and your support to achieving something is once you achieve it, you are stuck with the old habit of still hating yourself. And you're now going to need to find something else to achieve in order to prove that you're worthy of it again. You see, I've been an overachiever my whole life because I've equated achieving with being worth something. And when you are an overachiever and you think it's only when you're achieving something that you are worth loving or celebrating, you will be a jealous motherfucker. Because everybody else that's succeeding is now competing with you for the love and for the worth that you want. And when you start to actually give yourself the love and the self-validation that you need, even when you're failing, especially when moments are hard, when you're you know, telling yourself, okay, Rex was an asshole to me last night and I feel like a terrible mother and you stand there for, and you're like, you know what, today, today I am, I'm, I'm just going to show up and I'm going to be compassionate and patient both with him and with myself. And you raise your hand and you high five yourself. What you're doing in that moment is you're shutting down the criticism. It's an act of defiance to that beatdown that you've been giving yourself. And because this is the coolest part, everybody, because you've been high-fiving everybody else and watching everybody else do it, the, all the messaging, I believe you, I love you, we got this. You know, you give a teammate a high-five or a kid a high-five when their attitude is sinking to basically say, I get it, it's hard, you blew it. But guess what, pick back up. We're going in. Come on. We got this. I got your back. You're not alone here. So mm. it communicates all of that. It's already in your subconscious. So when you go to raise your hand, two things happen. First of all, your nervous system recognizes the raised hand as a celebratory action. And so as you start to repeat this habit, it will start to give you a jolt of energy. This research comes from Dr. Daniel Amen, who you know is this world's leading neuroscientist. He also said that the act of high-fiving gives you a drip of dopamine. So if you do this for more than five days and you start to push through the awkwardness and you start to push through how weird it feels because it's a new habit and because you're basically silencing judgment, you're gonna feel your mood boost 
because your brain is releasing dopamine because of the subconscious programming associated with high-fiving. And that's not all. This is really cool. So I know you have a lot of parents that listen and you need to, I know you've already read the study, but if you'll allow me, I want to unpack this because this is mind blowing. So there was a study that they did with kids, right? Where they wanted to know what's the best way to motivate a human being through a really challenging situation. And we're all going through a really challenging situation right now with how overwhelming the world is. And um, they said, we're going to divide kids into three groups. And group number one, we're going to give these kids a very challenging bunch of homework to work through. Super hard. And we're going to do that for all three groups. So these poor kids are toiling away at this challenging stuff. And group number one, the encouragement that they gave these kids was based on the growth and the fixed mindset research from Dr. Carol Dweck. And what we know about this is that the fixed growth praise is basically walking up to somebody and complimenting them about something about them. Hey, you're really smart. Hey, you're a good student. Hey, uh, you know, I love the sweater that you're wearing. Keep on going. Yeah, that's sort of motivating because somebody sees you. The next group got the, the growth mindset type of praise, which is basically to tell somebody that they're doing a good job working hard. And what we know based on research is when you reward somebody or praise them for their hard work, you feel empowered because you can control your hard work. So you work a little harder. And sure enough, these kids in this second group, Fern, who were told you're working really hard, keep going. Ooh, I love your perseverance. They worked a lot harder than the kids that were told they were smart. But check this out. The third group, the researchers didn't say a word to them. Not a word. These kids simply had a researcher walk up to them and high five them. That's it. Those kids who got a high five outworked had more confidence, had better results, felt better about themselves than the other two groups combined. Mm. And the reason is based on psychology. We all have fundamental emotional needs to be seen, to be heard, and to be loved and celebrated for the unique human being that we are. When those needs of being seen, heard, and celebrated are met, you feel affirmed, you feel confident, you feel whole. When those needs are not being met, you feel rejected, you feel invisible, you feel disconnected and lost. So a simple high five was affirming that those researchers saw, wow, you're working really hard. Wow, I hear you, you're struggling with this. And wow, I'm going to celebrate you right here in this moment yeah. for who you are and how you're showing up and how you're going through. And I'm here to tell you, simply doing this for yourself every single morning and making it a habit and teaching it to your kids, it empowers you in a way that is hard to describe because for the first time in your life, you are giving yourself what you have been seeking from other people. This is it. Like, this is I, it. I, I get it because if someone wants to come up and high five you, there is something sort of wonderfully secret about it because you don't know what's going on in their head, but you know it's positive. And something very primitive about the touch, like palm to palm, that's a really beautiful sentiment. And again, you know, doing that to yourself, it feels like in the mirror, that's quite an intimate thing to do. Like you're seeing your palm touch your palm, and there is something beautifully mysterious about it, but very primitive, very intimate. And I think once you break through that awkwardness, there's the beauty. It's there. Yeah. yeah. And, you know, I've been doing this for over a year. And what I can tell you 
is super cool is, you know, use the gesture. For sure, you got to try it five days in a row. And for sure, you should just make it a habit and do it every day, just like you brush your teeth. But what will happen is you literally are rewiring your nervous system with celebratory energy. And you are deleting and breaking the default programming that has been in your mind since you were a child. It might not even be your voice. It might be your mother's voice yeah, it's probably or not. your father's voice, or you know what I mean? Some other critical voice. You are silencing it, you are breaking it, and you are encoding a totally new default thought pattern related to you. And so I can now look in the mirror and some mornings I don't even need to high five myself because I now don't even see the physical me. I see the human being in there and I don't criticize myself anymore. Are there things I don't like? Of course. Are there days I look better than? Of course. I don't give a shit. Yeah. I don't because I see a human being behind the skin and through the eyes that is worth it. I see somebody who's trying. I see somebody who's survived a lot. I see somebody who wakes up some days and is in pain and needs support. I see somebody who some days wakes up and has something to look forward to. But here's what I know. I know that I have my own back. I know that I am the one person I'm going to go through life with. And I better fucking take care of that person. Yeah. yeah. And, and this is not, you know, the, the habit part is so essential because this isn't easy. And this is where we can all reach empathy for ourselves because if you look around the world right now and see what we're bombarded with the messaging is usually the opposite it can be very subliminal but it's you know you are lacking you could probably improve if you had this your life would be better if you weren't like that you'd then be accepted by this group of people whatever it is there's so much divisiveness in the world and there's so much projection onto us as individuals to make us feel in lacking. On a really base level, it's also, of course, how a lot of advertising works. You know, you need yes. this and you're going to feel better. And we've had that. We've been bombarded with it probably for the last 70 years. So this is sort of a generational thing. No shit, Sherlock. We're all going to probably feel like this. So this is hard work yes. for us to, by ourselves, just feel deeply compassionate. So I think the habit bit is so key that there's that sensory thing where we get it. We know that this means something good and we just keep doing it to get ourselves in a positive mindset. And we have to also, I guess, be willing to see the positives. And again, that sounds so obvious. But again, we've been bombarded with you know, the, the lacking. So we have to be able to spot, you know, you did well there or you tried harder. And if there's no willingness, we're just not going to see it. We're not going to see the good stuff. Most human beings, I know I was here for a long time without the high five habit. I was in a trap, an impossible trap. And the trap is if you achieve this, then you can be happy and worth it and lovable, Mel. But I'm going to stand here and I'm gonna beat the shit out of you and tell you that you're not any good and that you're not lovable because you haven't done that. Which based on the research, being hard on yourself is demotivating. Yes. If you stand in front of the mirror and you know that you wanna be healthier and you wanna treat your body in a kinder way, you wanna eat more whole foods, you wanna move your body a little bit more, right? It's not about the number on the scale, it's about your vitality. It's about how, whether or not you respect yourself with your decisions, whether or not you're taking care of yourself with your decisions. But if you focus on the fact that you've got a, you know, you've got 50, like a, you know, like a 50, it's not quid, what is it? Uh, what do you, you guys- Yeah, pounds. 
Pounds. Oh, pounds, oh yeah, yeah. No, so stone. Stone, stone. pounds. You got, 50, yeah. you, know, you, got, you got a bunch of stones to lose, whatever. Yeah, 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 you, yeah. When you focus on the gap and you then pound yourself into the ground because you're not there yet or you had a brownie yesterday, you're not motivating yourself through that tough love. You're actually proving to yourself that you don't deserve to feel healthy. Your disrespect to yourself and the way that you're talking to yourself proves to your brain that you're the kind of person that doesn't deserve to do those things. So you're actually making it harder with the habits that you have right now. And the fastest way to change behavior is to feel encouraged and supported and loved as you're doing it. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. I want to share one more thing with you, because um, I know you talk a lot about anxiety. I know that yeah. you know, you were sharing openly about a panic attack that um, you were feeling in the beginning of the pandemic. Yeah. And a lot of us have kids that are struggling with anxiety. And I struggled with anxiety for 30 years. I took Zoloft for two and a half decades and it was a life changer. But it wasn't until I understood my nervous system's role in this and the default beat down negative critic and how that keeps your anxiety alive and how you can use high five habits to A, regulate your nervous system, which is critical because remember when your nervous system is on edge and when your nervous system is what psychologists call dysregulated or you have a trauma response programmed into your nervous system. And let's be honest, every single one of us has experienced trauma on some level. Yeah. And after these last 18 months, everybody's nervous system is at a on edge setting yeah sure. are we masks are we not masks are we in quarantine are we not are the kids going back to school or are they not going back to school are we getting on planes are we not getting on planes am i allowed to leave the country can i not like you're you're constantly in this state of uncertainty so i want you to take a second habit that is going to help tremendously with anxiety it also helps with focus and i'll explain how in a minute so i call this habit and we write about it uh, and explain the science behind it in this book the high five habit it's called high five in your heart High-fiving your heart is a way to take advantage of your vagus nerve. And your vagus nerve, as you know, you talk about this, runs from your seat all the way to the top of your head. It goes through every major organ. It goes through your vocal cords. Your vagus nerve is literally a treasure that you need to discover. It is the on-off switch that helps you switch between your sympathetic, which is your on-edge anxiety-ridden, stressed out, dysregulated nervous system, and the switch to a calm, cool, grounded nervous system, your parasympathetic nervous system. So what you can do every single morning, and I do this right when I get out of bed. So the alarm rings, I use the five second rule, I count backwards, five, four, three, two, one. Mornings are always hard for me. I hate getting out of bed. I love how cozy the bed is. If I were left to my own devices, Fern, I would lay in bed and I would stare at the ceiling and I would think about all the what ifs that could go wrong today. 
and I would slowly become a human pot roast marinating in fear <laughs> and anxiety and panic and overwhelm and depression would pin me to that bed like yeah. a gravity blanket. And I would lay there for hours. That's what I do when I'm in distress. I love to just soak up all that anxiety. So I get out of bed. That's really important for me. Then I make my bed. And then I do this thing where I take my hands and I got these big mitts. So I, you know, like put them right in the center of my chest, but you want to get it right. Make sure your hands are touching your heart because your vagus nerve runs through your heart and you're going to press against your chest. This is high-fiving your heart. And then you're going to take a deep breath. And then you're going to say these three sentences. I'm okay. I'm safe. I'm loved. And you're going to repeat those sentences over and over and over again. And what's going to happen is wild. You are going to feel your nervous system calm down. You're going to feel yourself like your being come back into your body. I call this body confidence. It's being comfortable, literally comfortable in your own skin. Mm. And I do this first thing in the morning for a very important reason. First of all, um, this was new research to me, but I talked to this amazing expert in neuroscience called Dr. Her name's Dr. Judy Willis. She was at UCLA for a long time, and she's been researching forever the connection between your nervous system and your brain's ability to learn new information. And her research shows that when your nervous system is on edge, which everybody's is, you're waiting for the next shoe to drop, you feel nervous, you're, you can't quite focus, you are having trouble sleeping, you're constantly having your mind wander, your breath is sort of shallow. Everybody feels this way right now because of our shared experience and what we're living through. When your nervous system is in that state, it is impossible for the prefrontal cortex, the part of the brain that you use when you're learning new behavior or when you're really focusing on something, it's impossible for it to engage. And, you know, I can explain this. Like if somebody were to come running into your room right now and scream, the house is on fire, the house is on fire. First of all, your nervous system would go into a state of being on edge and it would go into alarm mode to alert you. But you wouldn't be able to do a math problem in that moment because your nervous system is taken over. And so if you're struggling with focus right now and who isn't, if you're constantly trapped in that what if loop where you're worried, 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 and you can't bring your attention to something optimistic or positive, if you're having trouble feeling like you're in control, I want you to also add into your morning routine, this high five to your heart, because I want you to settle into your body. And I want you to activate your vagus nerve, because if you can start your day with a calm and cool nervous system, you've got a fighting chance to not only stay in control, but to make progress on something that matters, to not be so reactive to everything going on around you and to feel like your emotions are going to hijack you. And then when you walk into the bathroom and you brush your teeth and you have this moment with yourself, your brain is now ready to think about the day ahead and to think about it in an optimistic way and to think about how you want to show up and to work for you. Mm. See what I love about all these tools that we, that I've uncovered just by, you know, dumb luck and by being at a bottom moment in my own life is that there's so much about the way your body's trying to help you, your vagus nerve, the fact that the filter in your brain, uh, the RAS can actually change in real time and filter how it sees the world when you use these, these tools I'm teaching you. The fact that your subconscious mind is already programmed 
with all the positive association with the high five, the fact that your nervous system recognizes raising your hands is celebratory. This is your body, your nervous system, your mind trying to help you be happy, help you be positive, help you get back to the state that you were frankly born in. Yeah. You didn't come out of the womb looking in the mirror and saying panicking. Yeah. No, I, I, you know, and I did, I, I high-fived my heart all summer whilst I was reading your book and I've just, I need to get back to doing it every day because I did it for, I don't know, the whole summer straight, six weeks and I was feeling particularly anxious during the summer and it did really help and there was something deeply calming again about, you know, having your hands on your body and that feeling a bit weird but then settling into that as a new habit and, you know, I do still have panic attacks but I've got to a place where... There are some that I found debilitating that I've challenged with certain types of therapies and things that I've tried. You know, I I was really annoyed that I found driving on the motorway a real problem. And now I'm getting to a place where I've started to do it again after four years and it, it feels really good. But I wonder this. There are some parts of my life where I know if I were to step into that situation, I I'm not saying panic is in like, oh, I'd feel a bit edgy. That I I would not be able to deal with the situation. Oh, give me an example. I, I, give me an example. So, so okay, I'll be really honest, and I don't talk about this stuff very often. But doing live TV or live radio, which I spent my whole life doing since the age of fifteen, and doing without thought, without nerves, just there. But I went through some pretty horrendous stuff that caused a deep period of depression and. Then, weirdly, it was about three years after that that the panic came in. It was almost like this sort of hangover. And now to step into an environment like that where something could go wrong because there's so many variables yeah. and you're live and the potential judgment, I've had to stop doing all of it because the night before, it's not like I just won't sleep and I get insomnia because I've had insomnia and you just lie there and you're like, come on, go to sleep. This is... My heart's racing. I can't breathe. I, I'm literally jumping out of my own skin for like eight hours and not sleeping. And I can't do that. I can't do that anymore. But I wonder. I can help you. But Mel, do you, is there any part of you, because this is my own belief now, maybe I'm just not meant to be doing that. Maybe I'm just not meant to be putting myself in that situation where I could be up for that judgment or something could go wrong. I'm wondering if it's, trying to stop me from going down one path and leading me to another. I think it's a great reframe. So if you feel like that's part of an old chapter and this sort of like wave is life hitting you with a sledgehammer to go, Fern, I don't give a shit what you want. Do not go in that direction, Fern. Because again, it's an alarm system. But I personally believe that you are on such a massive mission to make a difference with people that you are meant to break through this wall of panic that comes up that's stopping you so that you are free to do live TV or radio when it suits you. Yeah. And so that you can explain to people how you got through this wall. And I'm going to teach you how to do it right now. Are you ready? Yeah, because honestly, I haven't done any of that stuff. For, and when I say like, I literally did live radio every day to millions of people interviewing Eminem, Beyonce, whoever, like fine, unfazed. But due to very specific trauma, 
what, like I would get called up and say, oh, you need to do this thing. It's live on the radio tomorrow. And I would start physically shaking. And this is going from one person to now being a completely different person. So first of all, there's a couple things. When you have this much panic, it's now like a learned nervous system yeah. response that hides. I feel I feel panicky but, talking about it with you. Like I can, it's there. It's fucking there. Okay. So first of all, what if it all works out? Mm. What if instead of this conversation being something that's triggering, what if it all works out and this conversation is one of the greatest gifts of your life? I would love that. So that's the first sort of default. So when you start to have your mind or your body hijack you, use my five second rule, count backwards, five, four, three, two, one to yourself, just in your mind, and then go, what if it all works out? I was just using this at four o'clock in the morning. We have a daughter going to college in LA and she's a junior and she's going through that horrible period where your friend groups are changing and she feels like she has no friends and she feels like, you know, what if this and what if that and what if the other thing? She called me at four o'clock in the morning, which of course this is gonna be more therapy for her because I pick up the phone, I'm like, Kendall, Kendall, you okay? And she's like, yeah, I'm fine. I'm just really nervous. I'm like, what the fuck are you calling me at four o'clock and I thought you were dead? You know, like literally. Okay, calm down. And I was coaching her, stop the what if loop. What if it all works out? What if life is trying to nudge you in a different direction, which is what you said. So here's the conversation I wanna have with you. And for everybody who's never experienced a panic attack, let me just explain that there's a very significant connection between the worries in your mind, the anxiety you feel in your body and panic. It's sort of like the little bear, the middle bear and the big bear. So the little bear are the worries. So worries are the what ifs. What if this happens? What if that happens? And worries are always about the future. So your mind starts to go to the future and it starts to spin all of these negative thoughts about what could happen or what things mean. One of the most important things with anxiety is cutting that shit off at its knees. So the second you catch yourself worrying about something in the future, use the five second rule, five, four, three, two, one. And if you can't think of a positive thought, just go, I'm not thinking about that. I'm not thinking about that. I'm not thinking about that to shut it down. Because what happens is if you don't shut down the worry, then your nervous system gets involved because it's paying attention to what your mind is doing. So your nervous system then's like, wait a minute, Fern's really nervous about something. I better sound the alarm. So you start to get butterflies. Your armpits start to sweat. Your heart starts to race. You feel dry in your throat. Your hands get clammy. Your face can get very flushed. Those are all signs that your body is going into a state of alarm. Now, if you don't know how to calm your ass down when your anxiety is rising up by either high-fiving your hands on your heart or interrupting five, four, three, two, one. I'm not thinking about that or using a technique I'm about to teach you firm that is going to change your fucking life. Um, if you don't do that and you stay in an on edge state and your mind then starts to spend, oh my God, my, my stomach. Oh my God, my armpits. Oh my God. Like, cause now your body state is making yeah. you even more anxious. Yeah. If you've it, ever heard it your pals it. Yeah. yeah. Then your kid, you know, and if your kid has anxiety, your kid's always like, I feel like I'm going to throw up. I feel like I'm going to throw up. Like they start getting nervous. Why? Because their stomach is now on edge because their alarm system is going. Okay. Then panic happens. Panic attack is the older brother of both of these things. A panic attack is when your mind is so worried and your alarm system in your body has been going on so long that the panic attack is designed to do something. The panic attack is designed to save you. The panic attack overrides all of it and is like, we're getting Fern's ass 
out of here. Yeah. Because when you have a panic attack, you literally are like, I got to get out of this room. I got to get out yeah. of this room. I got to get out of this room. And I don't feel in control of my mind. You're I don't feel like I can override those thoughts. Like, yep. I just, and it's it's almost like, oh, well, you tried doing that and that didn't work. So now you're really screwed. Yeah. And now you're definitely not going to sleep because usually at night, oh, now you're definitely going to be up till four in the morning. So good luck tomorrow yep. when you're on the radio. Yep. It's that. Yep. Okay. So typically we have panic attacks in situations a lot. If, you know, going back to like, um, let's say we're driving down the road. Okay. And you and I are driving and we'll say that I'm driving since you just started driving, you know, on the freeway and we're driving and all of a sudden a car swerves and cuts us off. What do you feel in your body as I'm swerving to get control of the car? Yeah, panic, fear. Correct. But as soon as the car pulls away, what happens to your body? You start to relax. Correct. Because that's a situation where it makes sense to feel that. Yeah. You have panic and anxiety all the time in certain situations. The problem for those of us that struggle with generalized anxiety or panic attacks that start to become very frequent is that they happen at a moment that makes no fucking sense. Yeah, exactly. It's disproportionate to the thing that's happening. Correct. So first thing that I'm going to ask you to do and everybody that's listening is you're going to go through and I want you to write down all of the moments that can trigger you to feel on edge or anxious. And you're gonna unpack a lot here because it might be connected to past trauma. Like a lot of people don't know why they feel anxious at five or six o'clock at night. Well, the reason why you do is because a lot of people grew up in chaotic or abusive households and that's when mom or dad came home. That's when the shit hit the fan. So even as an adult, even though you're safe, you start to feel on edge at five or six and you can't quite explain why. It's because your body remembers being a kid in that situation. So I want you to go first and write down all the things that sort of set you on edge. It could be a smell, it could be a sight, it could be a sound, it could be a time of day, it could be a certain thing you have to do, it could be a person. And then what we're gonna do is, the reason why it's important to write it down ahead of time is because a lot of times it hijacks you because you don't see it coming. But if you do see it coming, you can now create tools to get in front of it so that your nervous system response doesn't take you into DEFCON 10. So with you and panic attacks, and I'm going to talk about the fear of being on live TV or radio. And yeah. so I'm going to teach you the five second rule and how to marry it with new research from Harvard Medical School about performance anxiety. And the first thing I have to tell you is that there is no difference in your body between a state of feeling excited to do something in a state of feeling nervous and anxious about doing it. Physiologically, it is the exact same experience. When you are excited, like let's take your favorite, who, who would be your favorite person to go see perform live right now? Um, let's say Foo Fighters, who okay, I love. Foo Fighters, great. So let's say you've got front row seat, let's assume it's COVID safe. Nobody's going to get sick. You are in the front row. They are about to come out. You are so excited. You're with your best mates. It's going to be amazing. What do you feel in your body in that moment, knowing they're about to come out and stand before you and play your favorite song? So much excitement tinged with a pure love for Dave Grohl. Okay, great. What happens is you probably have butterflies. Your stomach's like yeah. flipping around. Your armpits are now sweating. Your heart's yeah. racing. You know, you kind of feel a little thirsty. Your hands are like really clammy. That's excitement. What happens 
in your body when you think about going and doing live radio? I mean, yeah, I guess there are similarities there. It's, I guess the mental bit takes over from, it warps it from feeling like butterflies to feeling like daggers or something like, oh my God, this is, but it probably is on a physiological level the same. But my head's going, this is terrible. This is terrible. Yeah, It's exactly the same. Those butterflies when your excitement are daggers and I'm going to puke when you're nervous. Yeah. Heart racing, this is amazing. When you're excited, heart racing is, this is terrible. I'm going to die. That's I'm going to die. Like. I'm going to die, yes. yeah. So the only difference based on research between a moment where you're panicking and anxious and a moment where you're excited is what your brain is saying about what's happening in your body. Yeah. And so yeah. you can get control of this and change this. You can and you will change your mind and get control of your body and you will be able to do whatever the fuck you want when you can. And it's so cool. So the high five to your heart, super important to calm you down. But what you're actually going to do is this. You're going to use the five second rule as you start to feel yourself go on edge. It could be the night before. It could be backstage. It could be as you're walking onto the set and you're going to count backwards. Five, four, three, two, one. The counting backwards. It will not work if you count up. So you must count backwards. Five, four, three, two, one. The reason why you're going to count backwards, Fern, is because when you count backwards, it requires focus and that will interrupt all of the what if this, what if that, fuck, what if I fuck up? Oh, I'm having a panic attack. It shuts it up. Five, four, three, two, one. Now your prefrontal cortex is engaged and now you can insert the research from Harvard Medical School. Since being excited is the exact same thing as being nervous, your brain doesn't know the difference. So you're going to tell your brain you're excited. And you're going to say, I am so excited. I'm so excited to get out there. I'm so excited to get on that mic and explain all of this stuff that's going to save people. I'm so excited because I know of the millions of people that are about to watch this, one person's life is going to be changed. I'm so excited because I'm bigger than my fears and I'm proving it to myself right now. I'm so excited because I know how to do this and I'm excited to be back. Say whatever the hell you want. Just keep saying you're excited. It sounds weird. Now, here's what's going to happen. Your stomach will feel like a little funky. You'll continue to sweat. Your heart will continue to race, but it won't escalate to panic because you've stopped down your brain from escalating it. It is incredible. It works for kids. It's incredible. It's incredible. Just keep saying, I'm excited. I'm excited. Now I want to explain something else. I want to explain why your body's doing what it's doing when you're excited and when you're nervous. So a state of excitement and a state of nerves I said, it's the exact same thing. It's your body going into an alarm mode. So your body is getting prepared to do something. When you're standing in the front row of the Foo Fighter concert, right? Foo Fighter, I can't even say it. (laughs) Uh, Foo Fighters conference, I I can't say it. Foo Fighters gig. Gig, thank you. And your body starts to, like your heart races and your stomach gets in knots and you always have to go to the bathroom. Right when, before, you know how that happens? The band's about to play, you go to the bathroom. Yeah, I can explain why. So when you are, you know, like way back in the day, a thousand years ago, when a human being went into a state of being uh, alert, I'm about to go do something. It usually meant running away from some scary animal or going on a hunt, right? You do not need to take a dump or to pee if you're going to be running and it's going to slow you down if you do. And so what happens when you're about to go do something is all of the blood goes from your 
from your stomach because you don't need to be digesting anything. And it races to your brain and your heart so you can pay attention. The reason why you have, quote, butterflies isn't because you're actually nervous. The reason why you have butterflies is because the blood left your digestive tract to go to your heart and your head so you can pay attention and take the exam or sing along at the top of your lungs or perform on a microphone or take the test or whatever it is. And so the chemistry in your digestive tract just changed. That's why it's gurgling. Yeah. Wow. Your brain is wow. the thing going, oh my God, I have to go to the bathroom. Must be something wrong. Oh my God, I have to do. No, that's just a urge to empty your bowels so you can run faster or so you can concentrate. The butterflies yeah. are just the blood going to your brain. You can say that, hey, I'm really excited to go out there. I'm not nervous at all. And I know that the blood is in my brain now. And that's why my stomach feels fucked up. It's funny because, you know, understanding the science is so important so that we can it's a leveler isn't it like okay i know what's going on i'm not out of control i know what's going on but going back to the sort of start of this conversation really you know 90 percent of it maybe more is habit it's just habit like you you associate something with something and it becomes a habit after a few times of it happening and like we said earlier, being able to break that is so empowering. And although I know that I definitely have the ability and the propensity to switch that up with the self-loathing thing, and I've done it with your, I've high-fived my heart, I've high-fived myself in the mirror, and I'm going to get back into doing it every single day after talking to you. The panic one is the one that I still need to address and I'm I'm gonna I'm gonna try this out I'm gonna try this reframing mentally I'm gonna count back from five and maybe you know it will just take like all of these things and we don't want this to be the case because it sounds boring is a bit of discipline to keep trying again to do something whether it's daily or in a sequence discipline is such a big part of having decent mental health that you make choices and you continue them if you know that they're working for you. And we don't want that to be the case. It's too boring. We want some magic thing to happen, you know, to do some juice cleanse or whatever, and then everything's amazing. It's discipline. Yeah, and I, you know, and that word scares a lot of people. And so I think that you can, I, I tend to call it simple discipline. Like these are yeah. super simple things that seem yeah. to be true, but they leverage profound and groundbreaking science. And yeah. you know, to your point about the habits, Fern, you already have habits. You have a habit of beating yourself up, of holding yourself back, of allowing yourself to spin in the what ifs. And what I'm here to say is one decision at a time, whether it's high-fiving yourself in the mirror or it's interrupting the negative loop of what if and saying, well, what if it all works out? Or if it's high-fiving your heart, or if it is simply seeing somebody in the mirror every morning who is worthy of support and celebration because of what you survived because you've dragged yourself out of bed and because you're still standing here trying to do a little bit better every single day. I'd say that is a human being who is worthy of a high five. Mm. So the other reason why this is so important to develop these habits of encouragement and support and celebration of self is because your relationship with yourself is the most important relationship you have in life and none of us really work on it. And it's also, by the way, the foundation of every relationship you have. And so here's another reframe. All of those people that are judging you have a habit of doing it because they are so profoundly judgmental of themselves. Yeah. If you want to feel more secure, you need to start practicing treating yourself 
with a sense of security. If you want to feel more validated, you have to practice validating yourself. If you want to be less judgmental, you need to practice being less judgmental of yourself. If you want yeah. to be in a loving relationship and accept and know that you're lovable, you got to first learn and practice loving yourself. And through these yeah. simple habits and discipline, that's how you can do it. Yeah. It's so spot on. And this and and like you say, we we perhaps overlook the simple stuff. That's the juicy bit. That is where you're going to see big change. And it's certainly what I've realized over the last, I don't know, five years that I sort of moved into this area from a more traditional broadcasting aspect of things. And, you know, there's just so much to learn each time, which is a joy. And not only will the listeners of today's chat get so much from what you've said, I have certainly used it as a therapeutic session myself. And I'm I'm massively grateful for that and and will just take so much from it and get back to doing my high five every day because we need to do this stuff. We need to do this stuff to bloody well like ourselves a bit more. We really do. Mel, what an absolute treat and a privilege to sit and, and hear you talk today and Talk about stuff well, that everyone's going through. You have my phone number, so I want I want you to text me. Like we're now we're now pals and friends and anxiety buddies. And if you called me at four o'clock in the morning, I would I will not scream at you. I promise. Thank you so much for spending time with us today, Mel. So interesting. Um, and you know, maybe discipline is a bit dull, but it is those small daily habits that have the potential to make such a huge difference in our lives. You can learn more about it in Mel's book, The High Five Habit, which is out right now. Now, there's one thing that I did want to add. When Mel was talking about a performance anxiety and thinking of it as excitement, I have to say, you know, maybe I should have said this in the actual chat, but I was too busy trying to imbibe all the information. For me, I don't, it's not really performance anxiety. Like it is this sort of inexplicable, irrational panic. And I've tried many things in those moments and it often doesn't work. So if you're like me and that panic is really overriding, what I will say is don't beat yourself up if it doesn't work because you can feel like a bit of a failure if you've tried a technique that someone has really vehemently said will work and it doesn't. I think sometimes, you know, there are deeper issues afoot and whether it's therapy or a bit more self-introspection or inventory, self-inventory is possibly needed. You know, I'm still living with that one. So don't beat yourself up if these things don't work is my little uh, penny's worth today. Do send this episode to someone who you think is in a set of negative habits. It could really help them. While you're there, hit the follow button to make sure you don't miss any future episodes of Happy Place. For now, massive thanks to Mel, to the producer Anushka Tate at Rethink Audio, and you wonderful lot. I'll catch you very soon, you beauties. It's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that 
Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365 day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style.